everyone. Duncan Fletcher here, the executive director of PADS, back for another PADS podcast. I'm here with my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn. Stephanie, how are you doing today? Doing well. Good afternoon, everyone. Great to have you here. And then, of course, uh, super fortunate to have back for our second podcast, obviously not part of the summit. There you go. Back again, Dr. Timothy Fong from UCLA. Dr. Fong, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Great to have you back. Again, it's kind of cool to continue the conversation. Uh, for those of you that haven't had a chance yet, I'd strongly recommend that you go back and have a look, or I should say, have a listen to uh, Dr. Fong's presentation or conversation on gambling and its impact on athletes and uh, athletic organizations. I think mean, a ton of information there. And we want to have Dr. Fong back to talk about another area of expertise that he has, and that is cannabis. And obviously, cannabis is a uh, an issue that is on the forefront of many athletes uh, and obviously many governing bodies as well as I'm sure teams and coaches, general managers of the whole nine yards in terms of how you deal with the topic of, of cannabis in sport. So maybe we'll just get into it right off the, the bat, Dr. Fong. What is the impact on athletes of cannabis? How do you, let's just start there. Is it good? Is it bad? You know, you that, know real, we'll keep it real easy. Right. Yeah, there. that's real easy. Uh, Number one, that's a huge career in of itself. And 10 years ago, that field basically did not exist. The idea of studying how does cannabis impact body, brain, and mind? And in particular for athletes, what does it do to performance? Does it help? Does it hurt? What should teams say? What should trainers do? What should governing bodies think about uh, cannabis all the time? And I think how I got into this space, you know, in 2016 is when California decided uh, through a state proposition to legalize the adult use of marijuana at that time. And that was right around the same time you started to see a change in all sports, you know, where a lot of professional athletes were starting to talk openly about their uh, cannabis use. There were starting to be sponsorships. More and more states were opening it up. So now you fast forward six years now, and now we have much even more you know, open discussion about cannabis and athletes, but understanding scientifically what is the actual truth, those are the questions that certainly remain. Um, and I think we'll dive into those a little bit more. But my interest has always been, number one, making sure athletes do not develop cannabis addiction, cannabis use disorder, and using the athlete's knowledge and abilities to make sure they understand what they're ingesting, and then making sure that organizations have a science-based plan focusing on athlete well-being when it comes to cannabis rather than like old school punishment or too liberal on the front, just let them use whatever. So we have to be thoughtful about uh, cannabis as a substance. I think one of the things that you said that was really interesting in our previous conversation on gambling is that gambling isn't legal till you're 21. And if I'm not mistaken, um, cannabis use is not legal until you've hit the age of 21. So I'm assuming you probably have a very similar stance in terms of the use needs to be done in the context of the legal framework, which is you need to be over the age of 21. You know, you need to be over 21 to drink alcohol. And yet we've allowed and tolerated a lot of underage drinking and particularly in a lot of sports. So I think, again, we go back to every state in America that has legalized cannabis. It's 21 and over. Now, there are some states that say 18 and over for medical purposes only, but that's fairly rare. And, and again, there is not full acceptance of this as a medication per se by the, by professional medical society. So that's number one. So definitely we're talking about cannabis use for 21 and over. And then why don't we we take a kind of a, we'll, we'll talk about the negatives first and then maybe jump into the positives on the other side. And I guess, 
you know, one of the things you hit all the, uh, you, you mentioned right off the bat is that, you know, there is a risk in the use of, of cannabis. There are, you know, addiction issues and things of that nature. Maybe I could get you to talk a little bit about some of the risks associated with the use of cannabis. And then we can kind of get into the other side of that, if that makes sense to you. Absolutely. So the way I think about it, cannabis is such a profoundly interesting plant. And why is that? Because inside the cannabis plant, you have well over 100 different kind of chemicals called cannabinoids. So the most commonly known one is THC, which is the responsible cannabinoid for the psychoactive effects that we uh, commonly see. But the other one you hear a lot about is CBD. You know, that's another form of a cannabinoid. So there's well over 100 different kind of things inside a cannabis plant. So then you start to create all these different products of cannabis, whether you smoke it, whether you eat it, whether you use it as a, as a, as a potion, uh, things like that. And now when you have a, a hundreds, if not thousands of cannabis manufacturers, now you have all these very interesting products that are available to the general public and to athletes, either online, delivery, at a, at a dispensary, you name it. People have all sorts of products that they never had you know, 15, 20 years ago. So then you back up and say, okay, well, what, what is this? Is this a medicine? Is this a recreational experience like soda, like alcohol, like nicotine? Is it a performance enhancer? What exactly is it? And I think that's where you get all sorts of different camps. Some people firmly believe it. This is a medicine, no different than Tylenol or Advil or antibiotics or pain medicine. Others are like, no, this is popular culture. This is part of my entertainment experience. Uh, just like I like a red wine with steak. I like cannabis <clears throat> watching TV. So we have to really emphasize that. And then there are others who, who, again, will say, no, this is something that's somewhere in between, and we're not quite sure what it is. And I think that's, it always starts with, for people, I say, well, how do you view it? And how, what are you thinking? How do you think about cannabis? And again, you go from state to state, you're going to get a wide variety. But even 10 years ago, you didn't get this national consensus that I think we're starting to have. For the most part, this nation is embracing cannabis as a substance they are okay with legally being sold in stores, that they're okay with where Americans make their choice. That's not true everywhere, but I think that's kind of where we're, we're headed as a nation. Just as you're talking about um, where we're headed as a nation, can you talk to us a bit about the legal implications that some of the professional sports organizations may be concerned with if they're athletes? Are using cannabis? So all you got to do is look at the news. And obviously, you know, the biggest news, of course, is what our WNBA star, Bethany Griner, has just gone through. She took a legal product in America to a country and is accused of bringing an illegal substance and is now facing very stark consequences. So for our athletes here, when we work with, we say to them, listen, if you're traveling internationally, you have to realize those laws don't apply the same. That's number one. Number two, state by state. Again, same thing. We've had instances of athletes um, in the past where they traveled from one state where it was legal to own, possess, and buy, and they landed in another state where it was not. And they've had some, you know, tickets or misdemeanors or some very public, you know, uh, issues there. So I think it's not like alcohol where we have a whole national acceptance of it. We still have some states where it is not legal to own, possess, carry, use cannabis. And I think athletes that travel have to understand that and have to say, well, what is our team policy? What are our, our protections on this? How are we handling this? And I think 
that's an important thing for teams to have out front to educate their athletes and to say, hey, if you're going to do this, we're either A, going to support you and help you or B, you know what, you're going to have to deal with the consequences yourself. So I think from a legal standpoint, that's number one. Number two, same thing. I think teams have to have consequences if, you know, athletes, you know, again, are using cannabis in a way that's not according to the letter of the law. That's up to the team, the organization to do that, to decide what that consequence will be. You know, as things are evolving, where do you see the NCA in terms of the drug policies? You know, performance enhancing drugs are illegal, dopamine, all those kinds of things. Marijuana, 5, 10, 15 years from now, where, where do you see the NCA in this conversation? So I just had a conversation with a number of folks from the NCA uh, last week, actually, and their policies are fairly consistent. And that is number one, cannabis is on the prohibited list of substances. They do not view it as an acceptable uh, medication where you can get a therapeutic use exemption for, for any medical condition. What's changed is that the drug testing limits have changed and they've gone all up and down. So as of right now, they've aligned themselves with the same drug testing limit as World Anti-Doping Association and the United States Anti-Doping Association, which is for a THC level of 150 nanograms per ml. So to give you a sense of what does that level mean, you know, it can mean all sorts of different things. Someone could be very intoxicated at 150 nanograms per ml to the point where they're not able to function well. Others may be completely sharp. So unlike alcohol, where we have blood alcohol limits that are much clearer that equate with intoxication, we don't necessarily have that for cannabis. So at UCLA, we used to test down as low as if an athlete has as low as five nanograms per ml, that would be considered a positive urine drug test. They would be subject to sanctions from the urine drug testing program. So the NCA has kind of aligned themselves with the United States and with international, but the focus should always be on athlete well-being. So what the NCAA is saying, well, if you're 21 and over, but if you're playing in an NCAA sanctioned sport, even though the state rules say you can use legally, it's still a prohibited substance. And it's a substance that if you're deemed to be impaired from it, it could wreak consequences. However, does the NCAA test for cannabis at all their urine drug testing tests? That's where I don't think they do. I think it's not always true where, for instance, at performance uh, championship games, they make drug tests but that drug test may not be looking for cannabis. So suddenly you get, wait a minute, that's consistent, but inconsistent. So, and it speaks to, again, an evolving nature, I think, of the NCAA as well, as a lot of professional organizations to say, how do we ensure it's always going to be about, how do we ensure athlete well-being when it comes to cannabis? So for instance, here at UCLA, cannabis, of course, we test for in the urine drug test. But if an athlete tests positive, we don't automatically suspend them. We don't automatically look the other way. We say, let's have a conversation about why cannabis is in your body. So they get an assessment to determine, are they using it for recreation? Are they using it uh, because there's an addiction issue? Are they using it to treat depression or anxiety, which would be a concern? Are they using it for pain management so they don't uh, use opioids or other things? So the first response isn't punishment, it's actual let's understand why you're using and, and guide the athlete for to ensure uh, well-being and wellness. And, and maybe that's a great, a great jumping off point to kind of ask the question is, well, let's talk about the physiology of it. So what, 
what happens when somebody consumes cannabis? Now, like you said, I know there's a wide range of, of, of products and, and whatnot that exist in the market, but maybe talk about what a typical cannabis experience is for and how that impacts the body from a physiological perspective yeah. and, 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 and the impact on the individual, particular that they're an athlete. That's why if you take 100 athletes and we gave them all the same dosage of cannabis, you're literally going to have like 70, 80 different experiences. Some are going to get sleepy. Some are going to get more energized. Some are going to have a lot less pain. Some are going to have paranoia. Some are going to feel really relaxed and some are going to feel more anxious. So that speaks to, again, the power of cannabis because of all those hundred different kinds of cannabinoids, all the different receptors in our bodies. It isn't just one little area in our body. It's spread throughout our body, all the cannabinoid receptors. That's why you're going to have a wide range of experiences. That's the therapeutic potential and really interesting parts of the plant. But it also means that's why some people are going to get unintended side effects that they didn't really uh, intend. So I think that's where, that you know, if someone says, oh, yeah, you know, I like using cannabis. It helps me sleep, helps me calm down. That doesn't mean you are going to have the exact same experience, even if you take it exactly the same way. So that's why it's, it's, it's a little less predictable than, say, alcohol or even other substances because it has so many different widely variations. When it comes to athletes, I, I usually divide it up into the following. I say, number one, can it be performance enhancing? And absolutely, the truth is yes. So for some athletes, will they get gain advantage in their athletic performance over another athlete that doesn't have it? Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. There's some questions that other people say, well, how could that be true? Well, I'll give you an example. I have some athletes who say, well, when I use cannabis, it calms my nerves down, so I focus better. That's performance enhancing. I use cannabis and I recover quicker from workouts. I can train harder. I can lift more. That's performance enhancing. And vice versa, can cannabis be performance detracting for an athlete? Absolutely. Just like steroids and tobacco and all that. So I've had a number of athletes who you know, don't train as hard or develop addiction to cannabis, and now uh, their athletic performance declines. So it's definitely both. It can be performance enhancing. It could be performance detracting which is why it needs to be on the radar of athletes and teams and organizations to say, well, what are we actually doing about this substance? How do we make sure, again, that we're, we're promoting it in a way that makes athletes perform well, but also uh, on a fair and equitable level? And, and to that end, one of the questions that kind of bangs around my head, obviously, is that you, if you're a team or you're an organization and you're concerned about your athletes, you kind of have to think a little bit about the worst case scenario. Can you talk a little bit about what cannabis addiction looks like and how to potentially recognize it? You know, again, cannabis addiction, and you close your mind's eye and you say, what does someone with a cannabis use disorder look like? You know, we may come up with all sorts of interesting stereotypes, but the truth of the matter is it's a much harder addiction to spot. People are, again, they're impaired. They're not fulfilling responsibilities. They're having mental or physical problems because of cannabis, and they're still using cannabis. They're not able to cut down. They're spending a lot of time, a lot of money on cannabis. And again, they're suffering. They're impaired in some aspect in physical or emotional well-being. Can you die from cannabis overdose? Not likely. But you can die while intoxicated by cannabis. You get in a car accident, you fall off a roof, you get beat up. You know, those are causes of death. You can develop very, very severe psychotic states from cannabis intoxication or cannabis use. That's not addiction. But those are really terrible side effects. Addiction, again, cannabis use disorder. I'll give you an example of a, an athlete I worked with in the past 
where literally it was about four to five joints per day. But then what he found was that every time he tried to cut back, he couldn't and he would develop cannabis withdrawal. Can't sleep, a little shaky, feeling ill, very nauseous. So he found that he had, had to keep using more and more and more. Knew that the team would drug test him, knew he would test positive and tried to cut down, couldn't do it, tested positive, tested positive multiple times, got suspended, continued to use, and then would show up late to practice, continued to use. And as the years would go on, athletic performance declined, not as sharp, not able to learn the playbook very well, wasn't able to be as present as a good teammate. All of this are just addiction signs. You're just not fulfilling you know, your responsibility. You're not living to your foolish. You're not enjoying life. Further discussion with him, you know, his mood was grumpy, was irritable, wasn't very happy, didn't have a lot of motivation to do other things. These are all side effects of that uh, and signs that can happen with addiction. So contrast that to like other forms of addiction that are much more obvious and much more, uh, you know, in your face, you know, oftentimes it can be really subtle like this. But, 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 but again, the key to finding part is inability to function well and, and, and harmful consequences because of ongoing use. This might sound like an ignorant comment slash question, but I, I remember always growing up and people saying, don't use marijuana, it's a gateway drug. And just kind of wondering your thoughts on that comment and how probably that perspective has changed a bit since a lot of things have been legalized. And I remember people at the same time saying, it's not a drug. It's from the earth. It's natural. That's right. Well, you know, what else is from the earth is uh, alcohol, cocaine, <laughs> heroin, you know, various other stimulants. So yes, it's a plant, but a lot of plants have a lot of, you know, you know, really horrible side effects as well as a lot of great potential. You know, in the 80s, I, that was the first one I heard, yeah, marijuana is a gateway drug, meaning that somehow it changed your brain that you would now go on the hunt for other drugs. That's been debuked as a, as a, as a theory. Instead, what we know is that it's gateway condition, meaning that whoever had access to cannabis probably also had access to other substances. And that if you're a young person who started experimenting with cannabis, that you'd probably be more likely psychologically to, to try and experiment with other substances that are right in front of you. So that idea, though, is does hold truth, is that if people start using cannabis before the age of 21, that there's definitely an elevated risk that they would use other drugs if they had access to those other drugs. So that's one thing. I think through the years, what I think about with a lot of athletes is that the acceptance of cannabis is so pervasive by the time they reach high school. The idea that, oh, it's everyone's doing it. It's not that big of a deal. There's not that harmful. It's fun. It's recreational. It's something I like. And I noticed that with a lot of our young athletes that come in, that they're already coming in introduced to cannabis lifestyle, embedding it into this world of popular culture, sports, music, just the whole cannabis community. And they're all kind of embedded together. And so when you have that, then you start to have, well, where and when should we be giving this proper messaging to athletes? Now you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that no one should ever use cannabis. I'm not saying that no athlete and that should be forbidden for athletes. I'm saying the opposite, that this is a substance that athletes can put in their body that in many states is legal to use, like tobacco, alcohol, fats, sugar, things like that. 
and that athletes need to be aware of, well, if I'm putting something into my body that has a wide range of possibilities that it could go for me, shouldn't I know what those risks are? Shouldn't I know what the benefits are? How do I protect myself? And it's a really interesting thing when you get further down, you get a lot of athletes saying, oh, I think the leagues are being really old school thinking or not keeping up, or we should be allowed to use more. Why, why shouldn't we be? And I think that those debates are starting to get a little more settled. Um, you know, for instance, a few years ago, NFL was one of the first leagues to announce we're not going to be testing for cannabis. Same thing with NBA, right? And we're not going to be testing regularly. But more needs to be done to say, well, we're not testing because we're not testing because we don't want to catch people, but we could still be testing in instances where we're worried about an athlete being impaired. Just like if I'm impaired in the workplace, uh, UCLA has a right to drug test me to determine what might be going on if I'm having a declining performance. That's a, and I think that's kind of interesting because it's probably a great bridge into the work that you're currently doing at UCLA. And, and maybe you could talk a little bit about what are the research questions that you guys are really focusing in on? What have you found? Because like, as you said, the, the landscape kind of shifted dramatically here, you know, five to eight years ago. What's your, really, what are you focused in on and where does your interest lie and what are you trying to solve for? Well, for me as an addiction psychiatrist, it's finding better ways to prevent and treat cannabis addiction, whether that's through medications or different types of psychotherapies or counseling. And, you know, what messaging we really need to say to young people uh, to prevent that. So we know that the younger you are combined with, if you're using frequently, that's what creates addiction. So we really want to focus on how do we get that message to young people to say, this is an adult substance. It's meant for adults. It's meant for, to be used when your brain is of full maturity and age. But our other research things that we're looking at, we're looking at things like understanding men versus women. Uh, how does cannabis impact pain? So like, is it really good for pain? Is it not? Under what situations is it? We're also looking at things like the terpenes, which are the chemicals that give the, the aroma from cannabis plants. And, and there's been a lot of speculation and, and theory that those terpenes are in combination with the cannabinoids or the things that really bring about the benefits like pain relief or inflammation and things like that. Uh, we're also looking at uh, impairment, trying to understand what is the actual best way to measure driver impairment from cannabis use. So a lot of interesting things, uh, specifically for athletes, we're interested in really crafting policies for organizations and teams and leagues about that are, again, focused on athlete well-being when it comes to cannabis. So again, do I believe cannabis should be a forbidden substance in amateur and professional sports? Probably not, particularly if if it's legal, like alcohol and tobacco, but there should be policies guiding to make sure that there's fairness to it. And again, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, if you know a golfer really, really benefits from cannabis, and now they are now three to five strokes better on the course than without cannabis, that's a performance enhancing substance. Should that golfer be allowed to have that advantage? It's a really weird question because. Cannabis for another golfer, they may add three to five strokes to their game. It's the same thing with tobacco or same thing with alcohol. So I would argue that alcohol for some athletes is performance enhancing. For others, it's not. But we don't have tried and true policies for alcohol either as well, like when you show up to the, the course or to the match. 
So it's similar in that vein. And I think that those are the questions we'd really want to advance down the line. What I don't want to see are athletes suspended or pushed out of training or pushed out of competition just because they use cannabis in a legal manner. But again, if an athlete knows full well in advance that they're joining a team or joining a league that is stated clearly, you cannot use cannabis, think the NCAA, and they still continue to do that, then I think that raises questions about, well, you know, why are you violating the, the rules when you know what the rules are? You know, and I think that those are very interesting debates, particularly for athletes under the age of 21. And I think that, again, kind of goes back to one of the things you stated at the top. And I guess, you know, really what what guidelines, what information do you think teams should really be looking at when it comes to cannabis? Like what what are the frameworks based on the data that you think that the, the questions that the teams and these organizations need to ask themselves in order to be able to help their athletes, help their organizations? So, you know, I was talking to a professional team about this a couple of months ago, and I said, if I were to build a roadmap, I would say you're going to have to bring in a person who understands cannabis to work with your team, not just on a once a year basis, but on an ongoing basis, just like you have a nutritionist, just like you have a sports performance person, a substance management person that could really educate the team listen to requests, and listen to what people really are, are doing or are not doing. I'll give you an example. So when a lot of athletes say to me, you know, the CBD I take, the gummies I take really help my pain. And that's great. I can recover from games. I don't have to use Advil, which is bad, hard on my stomach. I don't have to use opiates, which are much, much more addicting and scary. Why can't I use these products that are legally available to me? I mean, these are the questions I think that would be so much more about boards. In other words, crafting policies that say, okay, here are the certain cannabis products that we will allow and you as an athlete to use that we know are safe, that are regulated, and that uh, you can use for whatever you want versus, oh, we don't want you using it this way. And I think that's where teams really need to have ongoing discussions and education to their athletes. For instance, smoking cannabis is not a way of using cannabis in any medicinal form in my mind. There's no medicine in the world that we smoke. So if you're really using it from a medicinal standpoint, it should be done in a controlled dosing via an oral form or a topical form or controlled dosing form like a pill. So that's the kind of education thing where some athletes will say, well, you know, I only smoke. I don't like the edibles. And the smoking is the only thing I like that helps me with my pain. Well, then suddenly that's not you're using it as medicine and the effect you're getting is probably more of a psychoactive recreational response. So you see how these ongoing discussions are complex, but what teams should not do is tell people at the beginning of the season, this is bad, don't do it, and if you do it, you're going to get in trouble. I think there should be ongoing, constant discussions. So when an athlete is curious about it or athlete is saying to a trainer, you know what, I really like using this for these reasons and i know it's against the you know the league's rules the team can then figure out how we're going to do this properly again i'll say it over and over again there is no therapeutic use exemption for medical use of cannabis that i'm aware of that any league or organization will allow right so when i prescribe stimulants for adhd we do a tue right and that allows the athlete to get their medication properly there's no league that I'm aware of that has a TUE for cannabis. I don't. Have you ever heard of that? Either one of you? No, I'm yeah. not. And I think we. I think the question is, should there be? 
I think in time, yes. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, the data, you know, is unclear to what cannabis is really useful for. We know it does help with pain. We know it does help with nausea. We know it probably does help, you know, with gaining weight. But when it comes to things like sleep, anxiety, depression, the data is not very good. The data isn't convincing. And again, if someone said to me, well, how would you take cannabis as a medication? I would say CBD only first as a possible medication because it doesn't have that psychoactive quality. But anytime you put THC in there, then suddenly I think you start to change the equation of what cannabis is and is not. Again, if I were to list out the side effect of THC versus the side effect of any other prescription medication, you'd see, wow, there's no way the FDA would ever approve something like that with all the effects that it has. But that doesn't mean there isn't a really very interesting product. So the only product as a medication available as a prescribed medication that has cannabis is a medicine called Epidiolex, which is made from plant-derived CBD for pediatric seizures. And that's it. All the other cannabis-containing products out there that are prescribed, they're all synthetic-made. They're not made from the plant. They're all synthetic-derived. Hmm. Well, I mean, that was actually kind of one of the questions I was going to ask next, which is, you know, if you are an athlete and you want to use a CBD, you know, product to see if it works for you in some way, shape, or form, are there sort of set standards? Because, I mean, right now, anything over the counter, it's kind of like the Wild West, it seems a little bit in terms of what's out there. It is. Are, it is. Are, are, are there guidelines or things that you would recommend if you, you were thinking about trying to utilize um, CBD yeah. in your... You know, and here's the interesting thing. So the Medical Board of California has said, if I want to make a recommendation about you, Duncan, or Stephanie using cannabis, I can do that. What I cannot do is write a prescription. So I, and the prescription is specific. So I cannot say to you, Duncan, I think you should use 10 milligrams of CBD gummy in the morning, followed by a 15 milligram THC CBD uh, in the evening. That's a recommendation or that's a prescription. I can't do that. I can make a recommendation to say, you know what? I think if you wanted to look at CBD for your back pain, that certainly would be something that I would recommend, but I can't tell you where to go get it. That level of specificity isn't there. Again, I think what I would encourage most athletes to do, if you're curious about using CBD or you heard good things about it and you want to use it for your own body, having that open conversation with your team is crucial. Asking your trainer, asking the team physician, asking, you know, looking at team policy. And again, most teams are not going to have policies when it comes to CBD only. And know that if you're really using a CBD-only product, you should not test positive for THC. But that's the real dilemma is that there are some CBD products out there that contain THC and athletes don't know. And why would that be? Because, again, our standards of manufacturing are much, much less rigorous than, say, manufacturing standards for Tylenol, Advil, or things that you find you know, in drugstores. So the, the, the mystery a lot of people are wondering, oh, the CBD I buy in, in, the, in the Rite Aid or the CVS, where's that coming from? The CBD I buy online from Groupon or Amazon, where's that coming from? Uh, the CBD I want, I walk into a dispensary and it's on the shelf, where's that coming from? And I think that's that mystery that the cannabis industry, we need to do a lot better at, at ensuring confidence that what I'm buying is exactly what it says on the label. And so that's, a little bit of mysterious. So again, if you walk into a dispensary in California, first you have to say, is this dispensary regulated or is this an unregulated dispensary? 
And number two, the product you buy, you have to say, well, how do I know it's certified by the state as actually having that stuff in it that it's supposed to? So we still have a ways to go, I think, for that to happen. And I think I can foresee a day when an organization, a team says, wait a minute, we're going to only partner with CBD or THC companies that we trust to provide what we believe to be the best products for our athletes. That's weird because it's kind of like saying, you know, would a, would a sport team ever say, we're only going to prescribe this kind of medication by this one pharmaceutical company, you know, versus all the other brands are out there? I don't know, but I think that's probably where we're headed, where there's probably going to be a little bit more safety. Because if I were a team owner, I'd rather have my athletes using a product that's been vetted, that's secure, that they're not buying off the shelf or getting delivered by some random person. So I'll give you an example. I had a combat sport athlete who's just getting all these samples of CBD from the companies. And he started using them all up and blah, 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 and the rubs and the potions and the gummies and whatnot. Ended up testing positive for THC after a fight. And he was like, I don't, didn't smoke a single joint. I don't use cannabis. And the lab didn't lie. It's THC. And so when I asked him, where did you get the CBD? He's like, oh, the company kept sending me samples. I said, did you ever get it tested for THC? He's like, no, well, I don't have the resources for that. So he was ingesting products under the assumption that there was no THC in it. And unfortunately, there was. Absolutely. I mean, you hear that story, you know, from, you know, going back 10, 20 years, guys taking supplements and all of a sudden they find out there's some sort of weird anabolic steroid. So yeah, yeah it's uh, I'm, I'm imagining that's a, that's a real issue without sort of that yeah. common, common, um, yeah. uh, measurement. And yeah. I think that speaks to the, the, the athletes freedoms and rights. And I think where I get, where I see some trouble is I think there's a split between what the athlete wants to do, what they're used to doing, what they like to do versus what the team is saying you can and can't do versus what the organization is also. And they're oftentimes in, in direct conflict with one another. So and I think a better approach is to have all parties talking about it openly and for the athletes to understand that the science is not 100% certain. And that's where I noticed some athletes come and say to me, with certainty, this is good for me, when it's not. Other athletes are like, no, I, I think leagues are being too you know, old-fashioned and they should allow us to use this rather than other really dangerous prescription strength stuff like opiates and other things that are benzodiazepines that are really scary. But that's why it's so fascinating is that we're all you know constantly in this and th things are changing so quickly, so rapidly. But that's why I always focus on athlete well-being and what it doesn't serve you well as an athlete if you're suspended. It doesn't serve you well as an athlete if you're using and you can't understand how it's helping you or hurting you well. And it, it, it doesn't serve you well when the team is not talking about it openly and allowing you to ask questions in a thoughtful manner with experts who understand this. Dr. Fong, thank you again for making the time to connect today. Why don't I give you sort of the last kick of the can here to talk a little bit about, you know, not talk a little bit about, but maybe give us some parting thoughts about how we should think about cannabis in the context of, of elite athletics and where you think this should ultimately end up. Yeah, thanks for that. Again, in summary, I highlight a few things. I think Athletes, coaches, trainers, and organizations need to create space to discuss and talk about cannabis as any other substance would, tobacco, alcohol, nutrition. It needs to be part of the regular ongoing activity and dialogue for any athlete in any uh, team. 
I think that uh, training and education are important. And I think it's important to, in time, we'll have more and more research, but it's going to take many years for us to really have more definitive questions. Prevention of addiction starts with education, early detection, and understanding uh, and handling misinformation. And that the therapeutic potential of cannabis for making athletic performance better, improving people's quality of life is really potentially there, but we're not there just yet. So we still have to follow the rules and have to follow organizations, but we can change the mindset of a lot of the organizations through policies, education, and conversation. So uh, for anyone out there, if you want to reach me, um, you can email me at tfong at mednet.ucla.edu. You can Google our UCLA Center for Cannabis and Cannabinoids. Uh, I do have a Twitter handle at Fongster98. And there's plenty of opportunities for us to do webinars to your local team. We can share policies and we can share some of the best practices that we're doing here at UCLA in regards to athlete well-being and cannabis. But what we should never do is just ignore, punish, do old school techniques and stop listening to athletes and their families. I think that's so critical. We all have very important viewpoints on this and it really should be brought together as a, as a team rather than just blanket policies that make no sense. And that's a perfect place to wrap it up. So again, on behalf of my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn, our global partners, Dr. Fong, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us here at PADS. Thank you again. Thank you.